sacrifice and meal offering thou hast not desired. My ears thou hast pierced, opened is the New American Standard word. Burn offering and sin offering thou hast not required. Then I said, I come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Thy law is within my heart. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, thou knowest, I have not hidden thy righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Thou, O Lord, will not withhold thy compassion from me. Thy loving kindness and thy truth will continually preserve me. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head. You may um, remember a song that was popular a few years back. The words and the music, the lyrics, and the um, uh, tune, what do you call that? The tune was written by the performer Melanie Safka. And the storyline is about this person who has lost her song and the joy and the, and the thrill of life. She's lost the ability to live and to enjoy life. Who cannot um, identify with these words. Look what they've done to my song, Ma. Look what they've done to my song. It's the only thing I could do all right and now everything is all wrong. Look what they've done to my song. If you spend just a little while in the scripture, you're going to find that the Bible continually talks and tells us what to do when the music goes sour. For the Bible is a book that tells you all about how to get your song back. Have you lost your song? I suppose that we're all surprised when life goes sour because we think that would never happen to us. And we're all surprised when we lose our song because that will never happen to me. So certain are we of the ability to make life's music beautiful. But we're surrounded with people who have lost their song, who live in the minor key, and we hear their words of despair. Look what they've done to my song. The psalmist was a man who loved life and he loved music. And he wrote an ancient song that dealt with the same problems that Melanie Safka expressed. His music had gone sour. And he, but eventually he got back his song and he got back a better one. I want to talk to you tonight about what happens when you lose your song and how to get it back. I think there are some basic propositions. One of them is, is that life has a way 
of making the music go sour. And providence has a way of stopping the music. And circumstances have a way of taking away our song. What happens to us that causes that? Because we do not set out deliberately to be miserable. Nobody sets out on the journey of life and before he starts the journey sits down and says to himself, now how in the world can I be miserable in life? Because all of us start out with the dreams that life is going to be full and happy and we plan for success and we plan for joy and fulfillment. But what happens to make us miss what we desperately want so badly life to be filled with music and laughter and joy and happiness. Well, it may be that somebody has given us a false road map. It may be that someone has deceived us to believe that the way to my goal of happiness and joy, that the way to my goal of being happy in life is this way, and it's not really the right way. I read somewhere that during World War II, fleeing Germans changed the road signs. And our troops went off in all directions until they finally realized that you couldn't trust the road signs. It may be that somebody has changed the road signs. And the road signs point this way to happiness, and this way to joy. This is the way to have a song in life only to find that that's the wrong way toward that goal. There is a little proverb that says, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the way thereof is death. And that's what he's talking about in this psalm when he says that evils have surrounded me. Let me tell you what he means by that. He is saying that, that I'm constantly led to believe that the things that will make life best for me turn out to be the things that make life worse for me. And I've come to believe, I've been told that this will make life beautiful for me and it turns out that it makes it ugly. And I've been told that this is the way to joy and happiness but when I get there I found that it's the way to sorrow and despair. It's like the prodigal, he could give a testimony to that. He didn't start out to the pig pen. He started out to, his dream was to find fulfillment, to find adventure, to find pleasure and happiness, worthy goals that he could justify to himself, to his family, to his friends. The problem was that the, the road he took to those worthy goals happened to be the wrong road. I suppose that there could be a long list of the way the devil deceives us. Come on, take a little dope, have a few kicks, and then we discover that it, the kicks kick back. And we don't take dope, we are one. And sometimes a man takes a drink, and then the drink takes a man. And some people take hold of money, and then the money takes hold of them. And we are led toward the pit of despair because the roads are not truthfully marked. And then comes the guilt that overwhelms us. And so he says in verse, verse 12 that my iniquities have overwhelmed me. They have literally invaded my heart. And it is a graphic description 
of the guilt that dogs our way and the despair and, 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 and the heartache that, in, that is the result of that. I am overwhelmed, he said, now that I have taken the wrong road and have landed in the pit of despair. I am overwhelmed by the guilt of it. If you've got time, I want you to turn back to the 32nd Psalm because I think the 32nd Psalm is a parallel to this. And listen to these words of David. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, does not hold his sin against him, does not make, it, make a blot on his record because of it, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as the fever heat of summer. What he's saying is, is that my feelings of guilt have literally, are literally destroying me. And what has happened to my song is this, that I have taken the wrong path. And the result of the wrong path is that I am overwhelmed with guilt and I can't sing any longer. It's true that when the music goes sour, we go sour. I suppose that we don't really realize how cynical and negative and pessimistic most of us have become. Have you listened to yourself talk lately? You would be amazed at how cynical and pessimistic and negative you have become. For when the music grows sour, we grow sour. Proposition number one, life has a way of taking away your song. Proposition number two, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't, have to you don't have to live that way. You don't have to lose your song. Now, with your hand turned to one Psalm 139, and when you're while you're turning to that psalm, let me give you a little background about it. Psalm one make that Psalm 137, Psalm 137. This most the noblest citizens of Jerusalem have been deported to Babylon and they're out there in Babylonian captivity and these um, people wake up to realize that they live in a land that has total contempt for God and one of these exiles later on begins to reflect on his experience and he wrote the words that are now Psalm 137, some of the most touching words in all the Bible. Listen to them. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Upon the willows of the midst of it, we hung our harps. We, couldn't, we didn't have any need for a, the, the musical instruments because you don't sing in Babylon. We hung our harps for there our captors demand of us songs. They, they taunted them. They harassed them. They said, okay, you singers of Israel, sing us one of your songs of God. How can, he said in verse 4, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? 
And the psalmist was intimidated by a hostile circumstance of life. And that hostile life situation took away his song. But it doesn't need to be that way. Because the faithful always sing the Lord's song in a strange land. If Jesus could sing a hymn with his disciples on the night of his betrayal and arrest, and if Paul and Silas could sing in midnight, at midnight, bound in stocks in a Philippian jail, and if Martin Reinhardt could write the great words of the hymn, Now Thank We All Our God, in the dark night of the Thirty Years' War, and if the slaves could sing those great um, songs under the lash of servitude. There is no circumstance in life under which you and I cannot sing, hostile or no. In fact, here is one of the great discoveries of life that these difficult things, instead of impoverishing, can positively enrich. And those hard self-denials we have to make and the frustration with which our hopes endure can actually, under God, put into life something of tremendous value, a finer touch, a nobler music. What I'm trying to tell you is that some of life's harshest circumstances can enrich your life in a way like the good times can never do. I read of a German baron who built a castle along the, uh, along the Rhine. And from crag to crag and turret to turret, he stretched wire like the world's largest wind chime, like the world's largest harp. And he wanted the music to play on those strings, that wire, songs. And he waited, but no songs came, no sound came. And one night a storm came crashing down the Nile Valley, a hurricane. And he went to the front door to stand and view the storm. And he heard this sound, this marvelous music like a carol angels sing. And all of a sudden he realized that that storm had brought life to the strings. And that hurricane had given soul to those strings and brought music to it. Sometimes life's cruel blows can bring the sweetest songs. My professor at the seminary, John Newport, professor of philosophy, has a brother named Russell Newport. Russell Newport was an opera, had an operatic voice, a magnificent voice. He even sang on the Ed Sullivan Show. Now, that's, he's pretty old to be on the Ed Sullivan Show, but... He actually sang on the Ed Sullivan Show. They prayed for a child, could have no children. At the age of 45, his wife got pregnant. And when the child was born, it was severely Down syndrome. Now this is told about Russell Newport, can't testify you know, on the, uh, first hand because I don't know music but that from the, from the time that child was born, Down syndrome, something happened to the quality of his music. 
to the sound of his voice. And while he sang magnificently as on the Ed Sullivan Show, from that night on he sang with a tone that touched the heart. Sometimes life's severest blows bring out the sweetest music. You don't have to lose your song. You may get a better one in life's circumstance. Proposition number three. God is the source of the song. And so he says in verse three, God gave me a song, a new song. I waited patiently on the Lord and he inclined unto me. In essence, he's saying he reached down into the pit and offered me his hand. Now the question tonight is not what, the real issue is not what has taken away your song. The real issue tonight involves two questions. First question, what kind of God do we have? And second, what kind of things has he done? Now it seems to me that the way to recapture one's song is in the discovery of what kind of God we serve and what kind of things he has done. Let me tell you what kind of God we serve. Look at verse 5. As soon as I find it here, I'm going to read it. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which thou hast done, and thy thoughts toward us, there is none to compare with thee. Now what he's saying is this. Our God is a God who is above everything and everybody. Now, if our God is a God who is above everything and everybody, you get with God and you will be above your, your trouble and your trials. And if you look at verses 10 and 11, you'll need to circle three words. This is the kind of God we have. You will circle the word righteous, you will circle the word faithful, and you'll circle the word loving kindness because the God we serve is a righteous, faithful, loving God. Now if He is a righteous, faithful, loving God, that means that nothing can ever come to my life that will destroy me. That there is nothing that God will permit to my life that will not give me a better song. Okay? Now give me a better quality of being. Second question, what kind of things has he done? Well, in the first place he says in verse 2 that he saved us from the pit. What he's saying is he has saved us from the, quality, from the kind of life that self-destructs. He saves me from a self-destructive life. And he... His thoughts are with us, he says, in, verses five, in verse 5. Psalm 139 talks about that when we wake up, we're still on his mind. But I think the better translation of that, that word there, that's translated thoughts, are, is the word plans. It suggests that God has a blueprint, a plan for every life. Now, if God is a loving, faithful God who has a plan for your life, then whatever happens to you fits into that plan. And he thinks his thoughts are only for our good. And then he says in verse 6, our ears he has pierced. Let me tell you what that means. 
Uh, at the end of the seven years that a slave served, he was given his freedom. But if he so chose, he could stay on and, and work for his master. If he chose to remain with his master, there was this little ceremony they went through where the master pierced his earlobe, took a little instrument, and made a hole in his earlobe. That's what he's talking about. The book of Deuteronomy talks about this. Now, it says a whole lot about a slave who chooses to remain a slave. But it also says a whole lot about a master that a slave would want to remain with him. So what the psalmist is saying is this, this kind of God that I know and love and serve is the kind of God I would serve under any circumstance. Wow, what a thought. That regardless of what comes to my life, because I know and trust Him, I'm going to keep on serving Him because He's that kind of God. Proposition number four, and the one you're waiting to hear, the last one. What happens when we get our song back? What happens when we get our song back is that many will see it and fear the Lord. Now I want you to hear what I'm, what I wanna, what I'm about to say. I want you to get this. The greatest testimony you and I will ever have is what people see about us when times are tough. And the greatest testimony that you and I will ever share, will ever give, is the testimony of a life full of joy in the roughest kinds of situations. And when people see a joyful Christian, a singing Christian who is in the midst of trouble, they fear the Lord. They, they believe, they trust. There's something about the witness of a person who maintains his joy in the most difficult circumstance that profoundly affects us all. And so the associate pastor in Swindoll's church or his ex-church got there early one morning to um, get ready for the Sunday school. And he said there was this lady who um, worked um, in Sunday school, who was a volunteer in Sunday school, who had a child who was spastic. And this child could not speak where you could understand, but the child could sing. And so when, you know, they'd sing little songs where this child would sing and every word was just completely understandable. And he said, I was walking down the um, hall of this uh, church and I heard this singing going on in this department where this woman had gotten there early and she had her little boy with her, her spastic child and they were singing at the top of their voice, both of them, God is so good, God is so good, so good to me. And he said, I, I turned around and went in my office 
And I looked at Psalm 40 and said, Lord, give me that song. Have you lost your song? God is the source of a new and better one. Would you pray? Our Father, reach us tonight at the point where we have failed, where we have gone away, and speak to our heart as to what we need to do about it. For I pray in Christ's name for His sake. Our invitation tonight is this way. If those of those, or there are those of us who who have never placed our faith in Jesus Christ to know Him as Savior and Lord. You've witnessed baptism, which is the, the demonstration, the public declaration of one's faith in what Jesus has done to accomplish and effect salvation for us, His death, burial, and resurrection. Perhaps you need to come tonight to place your life under the discipline and direction and fellowship of a church or just to rededicate yourself to God and to His plan for your life while we stand. We invite you to come.